0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case. In this episode, I'm joined once more by our Head of Legal Training, Richard Snape, for a bonus newsflash. Hello, Lizzie.
1: Hello, Richard.
0: Happy New Year to you too. Thank you for joining me for our first newsflash of 2022 straight back in with a uh, a new case well not a new case actually one that we've looked at before uh, but there's been some recent developments on and that's bath rugby limited and greenwood yeah uh we talked about it we did a podcast um on restrictive covenants uh sometime um, in the late spring probably of 2021 a lifetime ago now <laughs> and uh it's, uh, I think I mentioned at the time it was due to be heard by the Court of Appeal, Bath Rugby and Greenwood. It was actually heard on December, the, handed down, the judgment was handed down on December the 21st, uh, obviously just before Christmas, and uh, this is the first opportunity at the beginning of the new year to tell you what it was all about. Excellent. Well, do you want to start then just by recapping slightly on the background um, in case people missed our lost? Yeah, Shall so I tell you the history of it? because yes. I know the area well, as you remember. Yeah, I used to live very close to there. Um, yeah, it's—I uh, mean—it's been going on for twenty odd years as the you know, various litigation in relation to the development of Bath Rugby Club on the on the Rec, if you know Bath, uh, just to the east of the River Avon. And I um, say Bath Rugby Club have had uh, leases of uh, premises there since the 1890s. Um it's uh, within the, the Bathwick estate, which was sort of opened up by the, the Pulteney family uh, when uh, Pulteney Bridge was built in 1776. And the prime area that was involved in the, this cases by restrictive covenants was uh, Great Pulteney Street. I used to live just around the corner from. Um, but uh, shall I tell you about the, um, the previous cases? because it's been going on for some time as there as the, is as the various disputes the first dispute was actually uh nothing to do with uh, restrictive covenants which this case is about. Well. but it was a case from 2002 of a Bath and Northeast Somerset council and um uh, uh involved in the attorney general and um because uh they, the wreck had been left uh, to predecessors on, on trust for the beneficiaries of the Bathwick estate, which is a huge area, and say uh, to the east of uh, the river in Bath. And uh, it had come into the hands of a uh, predecessor to the Bath and North East Somerset Bath City Council in uh, 1956, and not realising it was a charitable trust. Uh, they'd uh, granted a 75-year lease. There'd been previous leases to the the rugby club, but a 75-year lease was granted in 1995. And they put forward all kinds of plans to rebuild the rugby ground and uh, shops and retail units and the likes and and a hotel. And i say the first case, so they decided it was a charitable trust. It wasn't within your charitable purposes to be able to do this, which is a sort of reminder in the first glance. But uh, eventually in 2016, uh, the Charity Commission, uh, uh, well, the tribunal accepted a scheme whereby they could build. And so the locals who were fiercely opposed to this building work then uh, tried a different slant and that was the restrictive covenant angle, which is presumably finally been settled just before Christmas. What's the background to this restrictive covenants point then? Yeah, it was... um, it was back in uh, April of 1922 when uh, land was transferred, uh, the wreck was transferred by the then owner, um, can we call Captain Forrester, uh, and uh, the on the transfer in 1922, they imposed restrictive covenants, uh, basically not to build uh, anything that might uh, cause or uh, a nuisance or annoyance or other disturbance, and they referred to uh, anything that might otherwise prejudicially affect, prejudicially affect the adjoining land or neighbourhood. Uh, and uh, the several, it was all eight in all, uh, people living in the neighbourhood claim that they had the benefit of these covenants. Uh, the Greenwood was the first in the the alphabet, hence their name. Showing up, but the people who actually opposed it by the time it got to the Court of Appeal were only uh, a Mr. White and uh, seventy-seven Great Pulteney Street Limited, which was a management company. Mr. White was a long leaseholder of a flat. Uh, they're all flats. Practically all of them are flats around there nowadays. Um, they um, and the question for the court is: um, Has the covenant been annexed to the land? You know, when it was created back in nineteen twenty-two. Um one of the problems, which is not fundamental to the, to the case, uh, is that if you've got a covenant that was created from January 1926 onwards, section 78 of the Law of Property Act says that uh, the covenants uh, made with succession and title, uh, And this was obviously pre-1926, so that wouldn't apply, which made life a bit more difficult for these people. But the real issue was, uh, there were several arguments being put forward, but the real issue was, can you ascertain the benefited land? which is really not unique to pre-1926 covenants. It's important, post-1926 as well. Can you remind us what the High Court said? Yeah, when I discussed it in the past in a podcast we did, as I mentioned, uh, the High Court had said that uh, the the benefited land is ascertained because it refers to the adjoining premises in the neighbourhood. And so adjoining premises, adjoining the REC, which includes Great Pulteney Street, which backs onto it, uh, would have the the benefit, and that must be sort of inferred from the wording. Uh, And that's what was appealed to the Court of Appeal. High Court decision was in October 2020, and the Court of Appeal, they finally heard it just before Christmas 2021. What did the Court of Appeal decide? Yeah, uh, they basically decided, it's a kind of convoluted arguments, I thought, but they they decided that just referring to adjoining premises in the neighbourhood was not clear enough. They said that there's got to be sufficient indication of what the benefited land is, and that's got to be either expressed or a necessary implication, whatever that means. And just referring to adjoining premises, especially with nuisance or annoyance covenants, which sort of vary, you know, depending on how close you are to the nuisance, if you like, you know, how much you suffer, then that was not enough. Uh, and so there was no clearly benef- clearly benefited land and the covenants weren't annexed. So it looks like after 20 odd years, the development is going to go ahead. Mm-hmm. There you go. Interesting. They also said that... Um, well, this, this is a bit difficult because the, the three judges, um, they didn't always agree with one another. Uh, based on previous cases, two of the judges um, said that uh, there's got to be a clear uh, sort of evidence of the benefited land. You know, it's a sort of, it's a, there's no question about it, if you like. Whereas the, the leading judgment, or uh, Justice New g said that that's not so. So it's going to cause problems, I suspect, in a large number of occasions, mm-hmm. and not just pre 1926 mm-hmm. covenants. What might the implications be? I mean, other cases have said this. Besides, um, a make clear when you create a restrictive covenant what the benefited land is, make it very, very clear beyond doubt. But b, um, it's a bit of language we practice as always been the case. They don't tell you what the benefited land is on the on the. On the register, I'll say on the burden what the burden land is on the servient donors' register, but they're not tell you what the benefited land is. And it's absolutely essential that you keep evidence of what the benefited land is and clearly express what the benefited land is. I suppose the other thing, which wasn't really discussed in this case but was in the High Court decision, wasn't necessary for this case, is uh, you know, the High Court accepted, as several cases have done over the years. The nuisance and annoyance covenants, which you see very, very frequently, can potentially stop developments. And uh, a lot of people take them a little bit with a pinch of salt, I say, because you see them so frequently in sort of residential developments, you know, all over the place since the 1950s and 60s and before. So it's it's significant as a decision, very much so. And that's it, Lizzy. Excellent. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you everybody for listening and thank you to Richard. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode.